0: Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's another festive edition special of the pod. I'm with Kate Longhurst and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Guys, we did our chaotic Christmas quiz. Have we all recovered from that? Just about. Just about. I actually am getting more
1: annoyed about it <laughs> the further away I get from it, which means by the time we get to next year's Christmas quiz, I'll be really annoyed.
0: Sleepless nights. Yeah, oh, no.
1: just... Just feeling frustrated that I feel like my knowledge won out, but Kate's ability to press some buttons on her phone got her so many extra points. Hold
2: on, though. I didn't win anything. I won.
1: Well, no, I, we we know I don't count that. I, that's even discounted. <laughs> what are you discounted. talking about?
0: Why? It was winner it takes all and I won. It wasn't. You won the shield, yeah, I won the playoffs. That's not no. That's what I'm
1: saying. But I had to draw the shield with Kate, basically. Yeah, what a moment
0: it was! And eh? I just got good vibe points. That's like rubbish. <laughs> yeah, but
1: I don't care about. I because want to be bad vibes, but the winner. But <laughs> because okay. you're
0: loads of fun, Kate, take it as a compliment. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. I yeah. don't
1: think she's any fun at all. <laughs> well, that's also
2: when we played darts, um, I was the best. Yeah, you weren't But that wasn't very unexpected. It, well, not Becky. after watching all of your techniques. <laughs> me and Becky had
1: to go and practice earlier in the week. I think I'm not too bad given I literally never played before.
0: No, you did quite well. We've got to do some more. We did we did darts for our counter Christmas party. We've got to do more darts, I think. Like, I think by the end of next year, I want us to be all really good at darts. Kate's I am already intrigued quite good. about
1: Kate's advice to me was that I should change the foot. I lead with, and then I was watching the darts, and I did notice that everyone does it right, but it feels so weird to me. But then I was reading this morning in a book about cricket about like left-handed versus right-handed batters and bowlers, and I was thinking maybe my technique could be. It was all about like taking risks and doing something a bit different. I was like, maybe my technique is the
2: one that you know. Maybe that is then because when I gave you that advice, it definitely got worse. It was worse. Yeah, Yeah. I
0: am left-handed, so everything. Are you? Yeah, I didn't know that. You were a javelin thrower at darts. For, for cricket, cricket. For those
3: darts. celebrations uh, <laughs> might have actually mentally scarred me. <laughs> I've seen darts, everything. move more than I ever wanted to. Listen maybe one day you could <laughs> play pump.
0: darts against us and see these celebrations for yourself. But yeah, left-handed darts, cricket, tennis, but not golf. Don't know oh. why I just do that oh. the other way. That's weird. I think it's just because like I didn't have left-handed clubs when I first went to like a driving range, so it's just like more comfortable to do it whatever way that was. But everything else left-handed, yeah. Do you right, left-handed. left-handed. Did you say? Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah. I do everything right-handed, but I am left-footed. Don't know how that works. out. Wow,
0: interesting. I'm right-footed. Oh, science works in mysterious
2: wow. ways. I actually read something once that people that are like opposite foot and opposite hand are the most intellectual. People.
3: Wow. Wow. Just, uh, wow. Look at us.
0: Wow. I don't know how true
2: that is, but I'm sure I read something I'll take about it. it. K- I'll
0: Kate, take there that. are easier ways to say that you fancy us, Jeez. <laughs> wow. Compliments. <Blushing. laughs> I'm genuinely actually blushing. <laughs> wow. What a moment. Uh today's episode is going to be our mid-season awards and review. We had our end-of-season awards in April, May, which were obviously chaotic. And then last season, we did a bit of like a kind of half-term report card. So we're doing a bit of a combo in this because it is the WSL winter break. And we need to give a bit of an assessment of the season so far. So we're going to reflect on the title race, the relegation battle, and then dish out a few special Counterpressed mid-season awards. So let's do a bit of a counterpress mid-season report after this. Let's start with the top of the table over there. Jesse looking pretty <laughs> <It's> smug. <me. laughs> Just top of the WSL. Managing to hold on to the top of the WSL table somehow. There's been some blips. Uh one. Big, big blip, which was the defeat at the Emirates to Arsenal, which was a significant one, not just because of the result, but like the manner of the and the size of the result, which is a big defeat that Chelsea haven't experienced in a while. Uh, But there were some big special moments as well, rescuing that point against City when it didn't look like anything was going to get in the back of the net. That's
1: the loudest I've shouted so far this season. Yeah,
0: because... Against nine men, it looked like Chelsea weren't going to get anything from that game. And that would have been a a real setback. But there's been some highs across the season. But let's do a general vibe check with how you're feeling. Because I want to compare it to other seasons for Chelsea. Because we've spoken before about how sometimes Chelsea do start the season a little bit wobbly. They do have these wobbly Decembers as well. But... Like, there is still something so, like, champions in them. But we know we they often play their best football in the second half of the season. So, how does this point right now, heading into the winter break, compare to previous ones where they've won the league? It's kind
1: of weird because Chelsea normally aren't top because they've normally had sort of a silly loss. And I all think games
0: called off or whatever. Games, yeah,
1: and I think, you know... I mean, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it generally feels like we have points to make up or games to make up in the second half of the season. So it feels a bit strange to be out in front. And I think it also just feels strange because the last like chunk of games hasn't been as good as the original chunk of games that started off the season. But at the same time, I'm like, well, that version of Chelsea hasn't just like totally disappeared. And I think generally it's been really positive they've scored an absolute ton of goals um, they've been players who've I think really gone up a level Neve Charles I think Lauren James has had an amazing start to the season they've got players potentially to come back you know like will we hopefully see Millie Bright like at some point at the start of 2024 Kat Macario obviously is maybe around somewhere <laughs> maybe she exists she might <laughs> exist um <laughs> We saw Micah Hamano. she potentially could end up sticking around. I think people thought maybe she'd go on loan, but Anique Noun's ACL injury has sort of freed up a squad spot for Chelsea. I think the only concern is, this is true for like a lot of WSL teams, there have been a couple of sort of mysterious, strange injuries which have made the squad feel thinner at points than, than maybe it actually is, but hoping that sort of the winter break sorts that out for everyone.
0: Kate, what do you make of how this season compares to previous? Because we got the bombshell that Emma Hayes was leaving Chelsea, which does change everything and kind of came out of nowhere because she wasn't on the shortlist that got leaked for that USWNT job. So no one really saw that coming. Then the reports come out of nowhere. It's a few weeks before the story actually sort of is confirmed with the US soccer announcing it and Hayes making appearances at uh, a USWNT camp and everything. So the wheels are now in motion for her departure and for a Chelsea successor. It could have big ramifications on who goes, who stays in that team. And it is the end of an era, but it also means that this season is different, for better or worse.
2: Yeah, it probably can go one or two ways, I think. They've obviously reacted to the news okay. Um, I don't know behind the scenes how how the players have reacted, whether there's a bit of uncertainty. A lot of players have probably joined because of Emma Hayes, um, the way that she plays football, the way that she um, wants to bring those players in. I think the Arsenal game was straight after the international break and obviously Emma Hayes had gone to America so... I don't know how much contact time she had with them, but also then a lot of Chelsea players were away, so it's probably not that significant. Um, it would be very interesting for the second half of the season, um, whether some players are a little bit unsure of their future or or whether that's where they want to stay. I would imagine they will because Chelsea is such a, a huge team, probably the biggest team in England now, um, if you look at their recent history. Um, it's a club that I still think will be very attractive to players. Um, it just depends on who they bring in and how quickly they resolve that as well. Uh, I I don't think they can wait until Emma's gone. I think they have to already have the wheels in motion of bringing someone in. Um, but they certainly look strong. Yes, they had a blip against Arsenal. Um, but I think with the ability of their squad they've looked comfortable in a lot of games they obviously score a lot of goals I do think defensively they are a little bit open at times but I'd also say that in previous seasons as well that certainly when I play against them I think there's gaps there to ex- exploit but it's just where the teams can actually do that um, and Millie Bright is a big miss in that defence so hopefully she'll be back soon um, but I think they have to be the favourites going into the second half of the season.
0: Jesse, you've had a bit of time now to recover from the Emma Hayes news. Does it change a lot how you view the rest of this season?
1: I think it adds pressure, but I feel like at the same time, lots of that pressure will probably be external. It's something that a lot of people are going to be talking about, but I think something Hayes has proven to be really good at with his Chelsea team is sort of blocking out that noise a lot of the time. I think obviously you're going to see players react to it in different ways you know we had LJ saying after that Liverpool game that like it hit her really hard and I don't know whether that will like have sort of a lingering impact but like from a personal perspective it's like any kind of shocking news like when I first heard it I felt like shocked and devastated (laughs) um but now you know at the end of December you're like okay like this this is the reality life goes on but I think Kate what Kate was saying about them needing to find someone is going to be a quite an interesting subplot because, you know, is that something that's going to be announced? Like Chelsea are very good at keeping stuff quiet, so I don't know if we're going to get many rumours about it. That that tends to be something they manage to avoid. But are you going to have them, like, doing it in February or March? I feel like if you're going to announce it, you don't want to, like, have it too much later than that because otherwise it's going to be a really crucial bit of the season but then you've got that weird thing of almost like there's this person waiting in the wings to oh, like to take over from Emma like so I think that will be a really interesting thing to see how that plays out um and then yeah I guess I, I think I've said this all season but all Chelsea's second half of the season is just going to be totally defined by what happens with them in the Champions League I think and and how that that impacts them
0: yeah, there's still a lot of Champions League to be played as well. And when we get into January, we get into the NWSL preseason. And if Chelsea are interested in an NWSL coach, either Casey Stoney or maybe Laura Harvey, then that gets interesting as well. Because if they're not gonna stay and start the season in the US, they need to probably leave fairly soon. But then like that leaves a lot of time before they would start the Chelsea job and recruitment for that summer and prep so like because of the way that those the two seasons are separate and on different timelines it makes that a little bit complicated where are you at jesse with like who you would like to see there versus who might be available
1: honestly i feel like i've gone through so many names and i thought (laughs) i feel i've thought about every manager um and i there's just not a standout candidate for me. Or, like, if there was, it's probably Stony, and I just don't think she'll come. Um, the real, like, this isn't happening was when all her stuff arrived at her house in San Diego on Instagram and I was like, she's not
3: coming back to England, like, she's no She's been through way. so
0: much getting the sort of legal visa work for her kids and everything. Her family are now over there. It just feels like she's been through a lot to suddenly come back again, you know?
1: Yeah, so I think once you take her name off the list, I've got no like that yeah, I just don't think there's like one outstanding candidate after that. And it's gonna be really interesting to see who Chelsea pick. I think the other thing that's like kind of fascinating is is what it will tell us about like the direction Chelsea see themselves as going. Like, is this a moment where you go for someone who's more of a coach as opposed to sort of that like director of football come manager approach that Hayes has? is that potentially someone who like could even be internal to Chelsea? Like there's a lot of like good coaches around Hayes and we've seen, you know, Barcelona make that move in the past where they just sort of like bring the next person through to carry on the style of football that was already
0: there. Um, But yeah, like I've honestly got no idea. Chelsea still got to play Manchester United twice in this half of the season. They've got to play them at home just when they come back from the break and then they've got to play them... At Lee Sports Village on the last day of the season, WSL Heritage right there, that finale. So that's that's tough. They've obviously got to play Arsenal at home, but that's at Stamford Bridge, right, Jesse So that dynamic changes a little bit out of their comfort zone. And they've also got to play Man City. Is that one at Stamford Bridge or is that at Kingsmeadow? That's at Kingsmeadow. King's that's at Kingsmeadow. So that probably plays into their favour a little bit. Let's talk about Man City, though, because they had a really good end to this part of the season. The most informed side going into the winter break, no Champions League, probably will want to do well in the Conte Cup as, you know, it's a bit of a competition for them, I'd say. But they will really want to challenge because they had a bit of a lifeline, not only with United losing just for the break. Obviously, like that gap has kind of opened up a little bit, but with Arsenal dropping points, that just gives them just a little bit more of a, I think, you know, they'll they'll feel like they've got a good opportunity, even though they're still level points with Arsenal. Um, but it's still like, it's so hard to chase down Chelsea in this part of the season because they do get into that kind of autopilot knocking off results and they just constantly find a way, even when it seems like their back's against the wall. But if they do progress in the Champions League Emma's um, his last season, maybe that'll take over and maybe that's the window of opportunity for City. I guess the question is, does City have that momentum? Does City have the depth to really be able to sustain a title challenge?
2: Well, they've probably got a team that's the most settled in terms of there hasn't been many ins and outs. Um, So I think that has helped them this season. Uh, They all know how each other play. I think if they can stay relatively injury-free, I think that'll be huge for them because I think Jesse alluded to on the last pod that they haven't got that depth that maybe other teams have got. Um, I think if you look at their bench, it's, it's not as strong as, as say arsenals and Chelsea's. Um, So I I think it is key for them to stay injury free. Uh, I don't know whether Gareth Taylor would be looking to bring players in, in January to kick them on another level, Uh, but they're certainly exciting to watch. Uh, I think, the way they attack, the you know, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, Bunny Shaw. There's a lot of creativity in those front three. Um, they're very stable at the back. I like the partnership between Kennedy and, and Greenwood. I think that's working really well for them. Um, so I, I do think that they'll be there or thereabouts by the end of the season. I just don't know if they have exactly what Chelsea have of picking up points when they're not playing at their best.
0: Unfortunately for City, it feels like... There's been a little bit of hot and coldness to them in the way that they build up these like really streaky runs where they win like twelve in a row or something, then have a massive defeat which sets them back again, and sometimes their results against the top four haven't been good enough, and that ends up defining their season. We have seen that sometimes that streakiness fall into the performances of players as well, like Bunny Shaw. Allegations in those top games that she doesn't deliver when she needs to. Jill Rawd is a very streaky player, but has finished the first half of the season well. Mary Fowler, who we saw a lot at the start of the season, now like not starting as much, although I think, you know, obviously that city front line is so strong. So there's still a question that's like, can they make the good times really valuable and worthwhile good times that mean something when? the end of the season comes
1: yeah I think it does depend on keeping players fit and I think not having Champions League obviously is an advantage in that it, you can rotate in the Conti Cup potentially even in like a quarterfinal if you get a good draw um, in a way that sort of allows you to keep your midweeks a bit freer I think one thing that feels really in City's favour is is that Connection that lots of these players have as a result of having played together for a while. And I think also they've really seen the benefits of sort of younger players like getting better and better. Like I think Lauren Hemp's defensive work in particular is something that's really like gone through the roof over the past couple of seasons and they're really benefiting from that. I think you're starting to see more of that from Chloe Kelly as well. Um, It's going to be fascinating because... I really like the City team on paper. Like There's so much to like about it. But it's a bit like what you were just saying, Flo. Like, there's not really the sense of them as killers. And I think we've sort of seen over the past couple of seasons that sometimes when things get tough, it does seem to get to them a little bit. Like even last season, there was a point again in around February where they sort of were in and around the title race, certainly in and around the race for the Champions League spots and they just like sort of kind of totally fall away by the end of the season. And that would be my concern. Like if if you are sort of in this like head-to-head, potentially with Chelsea, potentially with Arsenal, as it gets to crunch time, do they have the belief in themselves as a team to get the results that you need in in a way that like Chelsea have shown that they can do again and again?
0: Arsenal level on points with Manchester City, 22, just in third by goal difference. Same amount of wins, same amount of draws, same amount of defeats. Uh, just conceded more goals than Manchester City. But Arsenal, before that Spurs game, would have been feeling really good about their chances. The Spurs result just gives them a bit of a knock. But they've had big results against the top four this season which which will count for a lot that result against Man City you know they need a little bit of luck because it's a goalkeeping area that provides them the opportunity but they took it and that's a huge result that massive win at the Emirates against Chelsea so like there's still a lot there that makes you think that they are of serious contenders still for the title race, like Manchester City, they've got no Champions League football to worry about. They've got a very strong deep squad. Kate, despite their result against Spurs, do you still feel like because I still think Arsenal are very much in, in in with a shout in the title race? That Spurs result doesn't mean they're out of it, no way. But like, how are you feeling about their title race credentials now?
2: I think they've built a squad that is capable of winning the league. Um, they have a lot of options across the board and they still have players to come back. Um, I think Leah Williamson, hopefully in the second half of the season, will come back and I think she can make a real difference. But again, it might take her a little bit of time to kind of get back to her best as well. Um, I I think they are a really exciting team Um, and maybe sometimes because they sort of are the... Architects of their own downfall. Um, against Tottenham, they had all of the ball, had a lot of chances, uh, but lost the game. Um, but then you see how they can turn up against Chelsea and
3: absolutely batter them. Really, um, so it's... I feel like you and Flo just keep. Going. I understand why because this is a stand up So you both look at it and then you like batter them. Yeah, well, awful defeat. It, but it, is, I mean, it shows what they're capable the of.
2: It shows what they're capable of, um, you know, and it could have been six or seven, really, uh, just to rub it in. But <laughs> no, listen, Chelsea are top. But Arsenal, I think, without maybe the distraction of Champions League, is something that could go in their favour, whereas Chelsea, like you said, their priority, if they get further and further in the competition, that could be a, a turning factor. Um, but they seem to get the job done. So with Arsenal, though, I do feel they have these results where... You know, they drop points to Liverpool, they drop points to Tottenham. They're the teams that really, if you want to win the league, you have to try and get those three points. Um, so if they can do that in the second half of the season, they are only three points behind. Um, I, I think they have a good chance. I just hope it kind of it can go down to the wire. I think they're the only three teams really for me that are are gonna do that. I think Man United have dropped too far off. Um, but I would like to see with two games to go, that all three teams still have a chance.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if I'm Arsenal, I'm just absolutely kicking myself over. The the Liverpool one, maybe less so, because I think, obviously, it was a rocky start to the season. They got knocked out of the Champions League. I think it, that felt like everything was like sort of affecting them. Lots of new players coming to the squad as well. But the Spurs result, you're just like... <sighs> I mean, I'm personally not, but like if I was not, I'm inhabiting Arsenal fan land. Um, and I would be like, I mean, even when I was watching this game when they were taking the pot shots, I was getting pissed off because mm. I was just like, this is stupid. Yeah. Um, And I think that does leave them in a trickier position, obviously, because they've dropped those points. And I said it earlier in the season, I think, if you concede, teams like that if you lose to teams like that it makes lots of other people feel feel mm. more excited about themselves whereas I think something that I've enjoyed about Chelsea's season so far which maybe we've not had in the past is this feeling of just like steamrolling quite a lot of sides seeing it off in
0: those games where you should win
1: and it's it it, that also then freaks teams out in another way. They're, they're not going to want to go at you. They're going to just want to sit back because they're scared of conceding. Whereas I think in the past, Chelsea have had the opposite problem. Teams have felt like they can get a goal and sometimes that's allowed them to be bolder and Chelsea have like panicked, similar to what Arsenal have had going on. Um, but yeah, I do think the fact that you know, players like Williamson and are coming back, obviously, they're linked to Emily Fox as well, like as a sort of right back reinforcement, um, because clearly it feels like Noel Moritz's race is run at that club. It, obviously, Jonas Eiderval doesn't really trust her to play there. So there are more options coming in, but does Eiderval still know, like, what his best? team is and how does he deal with all of those players because again what I felt like in the Spurs game was it's great to have a really deep bench but that doesn't mean you should put them all on at the same time and that's a skill as well right like knowing when who to use and and when and in what games and um yeah I think that will be that will be what's really important I feel like there's been an extent to which like both City and Arsenal have maybe like looked to next season and been like, oh, that will be sort of Chelsea's week one. And I do wonder if that's a mistake as well. Because I think if you've already got potentially an eye on being like, well, next season we'll have a really good chance, like, you know, look at like look at what's in front of you now. But it is still true that if there are things that maybe haven't quite been figured out yet in this Arsenal team, they there is always next year, but that's the balance that you have to try and find, I guess.
0: Well, I but I think so many teams will think next year is massive because without Emma Hayes, you feel like the title race is wide open. There's nothing to say that whoever comes in won't hit the ground running. But that's what I've been saying. What if we get better? <laughs> it feels like really it's going to be like when Fergie left United or Arsene Wenger left Arsenal. Though, like Arsenal were crumbling a little bit by the time he left, but it feels like the end of an era. And I think so many teams will think, okay. Like even if City don't finish strong, I still feel like they're looking next season, saying like that league title we have to win. Let's talk about Manchester United because they've been by far the most disappointing of that top four. Really dropping away now, they find themselves seven points back from Chelsea, four points behind Arsenal and City, and you really look like trying to read Flo's email. <laughs> 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 I assume you're just looking at the table. <laughs> And it's the results against the top four as well, which haven't been good. Losing to City at Old Trafford. That was a massive result for City, a big performance there. And surrendering the advantage against Arsenal, lest we forget, at the very start of the season when Arsenal were down bad and fighting for their lives. And Chloe Lacasse, Screamer, rescues that point. So I feel like that maybe is sums up their entire season is like in the past. The reputation has been like they're very good finishers, as in they keep fighting, they get late goals, and they did in that first game against Villa. But like this season, they've struggled to actually like find moments to win games, find moments to equalise where it's the Liverpool situation. Uh, and it's got them in trouble, and this is where they find themselves. And Mark Skinner is saying that he needs reinforcements in Jan. There's always going to be... Rumours about his big players and their future. Mary Earps is that latest one because her contract expires. And as of time of recording, nothing's been signed. Whether she goes in Jan, TBC. But like, there's always something looming over that squad about the future of a big player. And I think this season, it's like everything's sort of crept up with them. The disappointment of not making the Champions League group stage. It's just like that. Feeling of positivity and everything is just sort of drifted out the building, I feel.
1: Yeah, I think with United, two things are true. Firstly, I think their sort of overperformance last season made people think they were better than they were. But I also think, secondly, they should be doing better than they are this season. I feel like I gave Skinner slack early on in some of their earlier results because I do feel like he's had to sort of try and rejig how this team plays with the departures. That's not necessarily his fault, you know, if the club aren't being, a, aren't making star players, the kind of offers that keep them. Like that kind of destabilising effect is always going to be hard with a manager to deal with. He then has a load of new players coming in who he has to integrate. But I feel like, I know we're not technically halfway through the season, but we're practically halfway through the season. You still want to see a higher level from United. And I think the key that still doesn't feel like it's been figured out is this midfield issue. We've seen a lot of different options there. Hayley Ladd was, you know, dropped for large portions of the season. He was sort of playing this attacking Zellum, miyazawa toon midfield. Miyazawa's now got injuries, so that's like sort of like being reverted. We've had strange ideas like Narsalem playing in the Manchester derby and that not going well. And for me, the issue with United is just, its uncertainty on and off the pitch i think the the team selection like screams uncertainty i think all the stuff around ups and contract situations like that's same issue and it just feels like as a club they they feel very influenced by the men's team i guess and you know like it's the same people running it so i don't maybe that shouldn't shouldn't be unexpected but i guess it's very interesting to compare them like to a chelsea who have almost their own setup and as like the men's team has been in total chaos they've been like very still doing what they're doing um and so to a certain extent i'm like there's a bit of me that feels sorry for skinner because i'm like that seems like a nightmare to be working with but also i'm like the way he just like players out of his squad, I just find generally quite distasteful. I just don't think you're ever going to be like very successful as a manager if you can't look at the pieces you've got in front of you and think, like, I can work with something here. Like, I'm sorry the way women's football's gone like people are going to build like amazing squads like i think barcelona have got an amazing squad chelsea have got an amazing squad but you're always going to have issues you know barcelona have no center backs at the moment chelsea have like had injury issues like no matter how good your squad is there's always going to be a point where you're going to have to turn to academy players or the sort of like three players at the end of your 26 so you're like oh like actually <laughs> they're not like as good as i i want them to be but i feel like his unwillingness seemingly to do that just
0: it's irritating you've got to trust those players and what if you don't if you don't give players confidence uh, then then why are you surprised if they play like shit and then the irony of seeing someone like Grace Clinton absolutely thriving at Spurs yeah and at least
1: she's alone but you're like you look at the way she's performing and you look at the
0: United midfield and you think What? Like, she couldn't have done a job for you Mm. this year. And there's a new minority owner coming in. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that because the idea on paper is that that the new ownership are going to have bigger say in the football side of the business when they come in on the men's team. But it's kind of unclear how that might affect the women's team who, you know, do have their own staff in place when it comes to scouting and signing and everything. But, yeah, there is a general chaotic energy around the whole place let's talk about the bomb of the table we have talked about West Ham being down bad quite a lot on this show and we have talked about the future of Rhianne Skinner quite a lot on this show and everything seems to be that you know the the, the club are very much backing her despite the results picked up a really important point against Leicester City very late on with 10 players High, up, high um, probability. There's going to be some January transfer action for them, so maybe that'll boost the squad. But Kate, we always come to you as a former player. It's not looking great. They're second bottom at the moment. They're level on points with Bristol City, but are just ahead on a marginally better goal difference. So it's a very important second half of the season for them. Bristol City always looked like they can potentially get something from games. So West Ham should be feeling very nervous. Yeah, I think it was a big point for them to actually get off the foot
2: of the table. I do think they'll bring players in um, over the winter. I do think the board will stick with Ryan Skinner. Um, they seem to really like her and um, the results aren't coming at the moment, um, but she seems quite positive in terms of the performances. Whether she's putting that on in front of the cameras, I don't know, but um, I, I thought they were unlucky against Leicester. I did think um watching the game back, I thought West Ham were the better team, um, which I can't say in a lot of the games that they've been playing this season. I think there are a lot of issues there. I think defensively, they're certainly not good enough. I think going forward, um, they are creating bits and bobs, but it's, it's not consistent. Um, and they tend to, once it goes against them, they tend to drop off and then it almost becomes they they can't find their way out of it. So if they go one nil down, they can't then find their way back into a game a lot of the time. Um, I think it was coming, if I'm honest. Uh, I don't think they recruited well uh, in the summer. Well, they let you go, so... But you lose Lucy Parker, you lose Grace Fisk and you don't bring in a defensive player is baffling. Um, they didn't bring in midfield players, uh, which was already thin last season. Uh, For me, I think they lack a bit of direction. I think they lack ambition, um, which is a real shame for me to say because obviously I have a strong affinity with the club, affinity with the club, um, but they have to strengthen. They have to because whether you look at the players on paper and say they're better than Bristol City's players, What Bristol City have at the moment is a real togetherness, an underdog mentality where they fight for absolutely everything. And I think they genuinely believe that every game they go into, they can get something out of. Um, And they have a a really good home crowd backing behind them. Um, I know a lot of West Ham fans that that haven't renewed their season tickets and haven't gone back to West Ham because they almost feel... um, Uh, a disconnect with the club which is really sad Um, I think there's so much potential at West Ham uh, but they're not tapping into it and they are where they are because of the way that they're back in the club right now Um, which is really disappointing because I think if you look season upon season brought in some good players but lose players every season and it's just a constant merry-go-round of players coming in and players going out and At the moment, when I looked at the squad in the summer, and this is no disrespect to the players because there's a lot of young players with a lot of potential, but if you're asking them to be the players to get you points week in, week out, they're not ready for that step yet and they're not ready for that progression. There's not a lot of experience of WSL in that team, which is really undervalued because sometimes you just need experience to get you through the games where you're not playing well or you just need a little bit of know-how, how how to get out of situations or how to keep the team ticking. And I went to the Bristol City game at home and the first 20 minutes I thought West Ham are going to blow Bristol City away. They went one nil up. They were all over them. Uh, Bristol City had an attack, finished a really good chance. And all of a sudden the game turned on its head and I thought Bristol City are going to win this. And they did. And I think that gave Bristol City a lot of confidence. um, But also you could see it was like heads down, the body language of the West Ham players of like, we're in trouble here and they haven't picked up since. So I think the the winter uh, transfer window will be really big for them. If they don't invest now, then I really worry for them for the rest of the season.
0: Really of that bottom three, so we'll include Bristol City and Brighton in that, West Ham have the best overall XG, best XG per 90. So in games that they've been in, not the games against the the better teams, they have missed some big chances that probably could, could have given them a little bit more breathing space. And you just can't be guilty of that when you're in and around those positions. And, you know, I wouldn't say they're the best team to watch, but what gets you safety is what Aston Villa did against Brighton. They nearly didn't because they had so many chances they should have won that game 3-0. But Adrian Leon scores a very good solo goal. They get a massive 1-0 win against Brighton and suddenly they're heading to the winter break with nine points, a four-point gap. And it kind of changes their dynamic. They can finally maybe start looking up and try and build on that squad, have Van Domsala back from her concussion and try and... I thought Annalise had a really good game in that as well. But, like, you know, try and look ahead. And I think West Ham have have not done that in moments where they have had the opportunity. Villa, obviously, some people in WSL world had these guys as a challenging top four team. They definitely have not delivered that. Jesse, do you think they're going to kick on and kick out in the second half of the season?
1: I don't know. I feel very... I can't figure... They've had some Villa false dawns, I tell you, yeah, tell you that much. They've had games where they played well. I did think they they looked good against Brighton. I thought they played well against Arsenal, um, for example at the Emirates. But they're the worst team I've seen Chelsea play so far this season. They were awful in that match and. I still feel like you could tell there's like not much belief around that team. I thought even in the Brighton game where they were really dominant, it still felt like there was like a little bit of disconnect or, or a feeling like that this this wasn't going to work out for them. Um, there's been a lot of like chopping and changing again, which I personally just find like again doesn't really like give you a firm base to work off. And I know if stuff's going badly, like sometimes you want to do that to try and I don't know, like give people a kick up the ass or something, but they'll probably be safe at this point. And so I guess what's interesting in the second half of the season is like, what does Carla Ward do next with this side? And I think for me, I'd really like to see her looking more to players like Ebony Salmon, like Laura Blinkilda Brown. They're not always gonna be like super reliable, but I think in the long term, having those players come in and bed into this team will be much better off given where they are now. Like they're not going to like, they're, yeah, they're probably going to finish like eight, seven, five or whatever. So you've kind of got to be thinking about like, okay, what's the future of this side? And I think that that's what will be really crucial to see what happens in the second half.
0: Let's do some predictions. Kind of think about maybe your pre-season ones and what we've mentioned so far on the show this season. So title. Has anyone changed their mind? Who do we think is going to win the title? I still think Chelsea. I just think they have enough
2: experience. Um, It almost becomes a little bit boring that they keep winning the league and I would like to see another team win It's not a little bit boring, it it
0: is boring. Okay, well, yeah, I was (laughs) trying to be boring. trying to be It's very boring.
2: I would like to see a different team win the league just to kind of open things up again. Um, I just think they get the job done when they're not playing at their best and the, the games that they should win they win convincingly, where it's sometimes with Arsenal, Man City, Man United, it's a little bit of a struggle to get those games done.
0: Jesse?
1: I don't know. I really don't know. Like, you gotta pick one, mate. I fought Chelsea at the start of the season. I felt weird about it with the Hayes news. Uh, yeah i think i i do think maybe chelsea will do it i think if there was something that was going to enable them to tap in and find something else it probably is like wanting to win it one more time for emma but i also think the like i i say this every time but i just think like it it will be about the champions league and they they won't be bothered about dropping points in the wsl if it means they perform well in the champions league so
0: my head says chelsea but my heart says Manchester City. So I'm gonna go with Manchester City. I'm gonna go for a different winner of the WSL. Please. Please, please, please. I think we deserve it. Uh, so let's wait and see. And then relegation. Jesse, you being hot on West Ham to get relegated from the start. Still feeling like that? I think it depends.
1: On what happens to them in January, I think they're probably in a position where they can attract more players than a team like Bristol is going to do. That does make me worry for Bristol a little bit because even though they have picked up points and they have played well, you know, like in the Chelsea game, they had to bring on a fourth choice goalkeeper. Like, you know, they've like also been really unlucky. It's a lot of young players, which I think, again, is a sensible place to be in. I think if you do risk going back down, having sort of a young core who are going to stick with you and maybe put you in a position to do well in the championship is a sensible idea. Other team I feel a bit spooked about
0: is Brighton. We haven't really talked about them, but they're sort of getting away with one just because they're on... The neutrals' favourite, I feel like, uh, the hipster's choice, Brighton. So no one really thinks that deeply about them being relegated, but maybe I'm wrong. I just think for
1: the squad they have, it, and they've got some very notable points this season, they've taken four off the Manchester teams. I think that's like covering up the, cracks <laughs> the truth a little bit. And that would worry me that in, you know, in 10 games, half their points have come from two. Not fluky, especially the United draw. I don't think that was fluky. I did think they played well in that game. But the City win was fluky. And that that would, that would concern me. I think they feel very, very open defensively still. They had a really ambitious summer, so maybe they'll go and have a really ambitious January. But, yeah, it mm, doesn't quite feel like it's working out there for Mel Phillips right now.
2: Kate, who are you thinking? For relegation? Yeah. I think Bristol City just because I almost feel that they're playing at their peak week in, week out. And and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way because I've actually been really impressed with how they've stayed in games and the fight that they're showing and the organisation that they're showing and actually scoring goals as well. Uh, But again, like Jesse said, I, I don't know who they'd be able to attract because they can't throw big money at someone They're probably on paper the favourites to go down, whereas West Ham, I mean, not saying that they've got loads of money to throw at people, but I still think it would almost be a more ideal situation for someone to go there than Bristol City. Um, Yeah, I, I just can't really see past that. But you never know if they pick up one or two Wins it, it changes everything.
1: It all feels a bit like, unfortunately, the last time Bristol City went down with maternity, Matt, Matt Beard, Beard. Yeah. and you really thought they were going to do it like yeah, out of nowhere, just
0: sure. And then the at the end of the
1: day, just that like little bit of quality that the teams yeah. around them could find, mm-hmm. like,
0: and it's like those players that aren't playing well but still have the individual quality to get you out of difficult moments. Where Villa have that, Brighton have that, West Ham. Do have that in SIE and maybe more reinforcements that are on the way. I think there's, I think, I think. I mean, I had Bristol City to go down at the start of the season, but I had them really going down without a fight. And I agree with you, Kate, not in a patronising way. And I think it's going to be closer than many people thought. But I still don't think it's going to be close enough. And I think that I think West Ham will just about edge away, and Bristol City with the injuries they've had as well and the lack of squad debt, like you say, Jesse. I think it's just going to be too much for them. That's our little mid-season report card and review. Let's do some mid-season awards. Right, so I want to start with best new signing of the season. We've had a good amount of time to look at a few players. So I've got two picks, but I'm going to go with my sort of like personal fave, which is Martha Thomas at Tottenham because she wasn't really loved at Manchester United, uh, was just kind of this substitute who would be thrown on by Mark Skinner to run around. Arrived at Spurs with a point to prove, having to play a lot of football because Beth England had a hip injury and had to have operation. And she stood up, hitting her record WSL amount of goals very early in the season, scoring that massive goal in the North London derby. So that's my kind of fave, fave pick. But then my sort of like footy, footy pick is Kyra Cooney-Cross, just because obviously a huge signing for Arsenal. I think she's not even hit her peak yet playing for them. And I think in the moments we've seen her play, she's been really impressive. So those are my like, you know, fan favourite football choice picks. Gone Martha Thomas as well. Oh, I think she's just, um,
2: Beth England did a really good job for Tottenham last year. And I think she's sort of carried the baton on. And while she's been injured, she's been huge for them. I think she is a huge confidence player um, and she looks really comfortable and at home there. She's getting the trust from the manager, but also from the players. She is their focal point. I think she can stretch defences. So they've always got an outlet as well when they are up against it a little bit. Um, I've been really impressed with her and she has scored goals Um, she probably could have a few more as well because she does create a lot of chances for herself Um, from her movement and her sort of hunger to always get on the ball uh, so yeah, she's she's my pick as well
1: I want to give an honourable mention to Shurkanuskan she's not my pick but I think she's had a very strong start even though there are games that she
0: has struggled in Have you forgiven her for the Arsenal game?
1: I, yeah, I've forgiven her because She's a kid, and like not many people her age come into the Chelsea team and start games like that. She's played at about four different positions for us already, and her hat trick is one of the highlights <laughs> of my season so far. But I'm going to go with Jill Rod. Um I think. Lots Can I of ask people... when does the
0: kid label expire? What age do we expire, kids? Um, because she's the same age as Lauren James. So I, do we put them both as kids or because Lauren James has been on the scene a bit longer? I think because it's her first... I feel like it's like you're an under-23 player and
1: it's your first, first season, season in the WSL. Okay. That's what, that's what the I'd official, count
0: official as. Okay, definition. All yeah. right, good.
1: Well, you can add that as an award for the end of the season. The <laughs> yeah. Shook and Nuskin Kid of the Year. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, make notes. Um... Yeah, Jill Roard, I think lots of people scoffed at the money City were paying yeah. for her. Lots of people scoffed that she was the only player coming in for them in the summer. But I think she's just added, like, what, what we were talking about earlier, do City have enough of sort of that grit and belief and winning mentality? And she came out with those quotes after the Brighton game, I think it was, where, you know, she was saying that, like, they needed almost to, like, want it more and fight for it more. Um and I think she really suits the way City want to play. I think, you know, when you've got a player like Shaw, who's going to attract so much of the attention of defenders and then a player like Roar to sort of make those later runs into the box. Um, I think that's that works really well. And, you know, I just think the position City have been in, I still think they could maybe do with a, an, a different right-sided sort of 8-10. slash 10. But to have gone from losing an entire midfield, like, Two seasons ago, or whatever, to being in the position they are now. I think Rawd's been a really like perfect addition to that.
0: And yeah, you've jumped ahead because her quotes made her an honourable candidate for one of the other awards <laughs> in this rumble. We'll talk about that later. Okay, biggest shock of the season so far, and that can be a moment, a result, a player, a coach. I'm going for Liverpool beating Arsenal at the Emirates because. Did not see that coming, even though Arsenal were wobbly in that moment. That big crowd, the signings, the players, like, I feel like it was not only uh, a shock for Arsenal but a shock win for Liverpool because I don't think any of us really knew what they were going to be about this season Like and thought they were going to be that good and they've obviously maintained some of that and some of the results they picked up this season so that is my biggest shock of the season so far Kate I might as well just take your notes but I do have another one as well so I had Liverpool Arsenal
2: and I don't know if it's a shock because it's the first game of season, but it was a very surprising result. Um, but also Jilly with her curls. Yeah. <laughs> I think that has to be up Speechless. there. Speechless. Yeah. I have known this girl since 13 years, since she was 13 you years old. You guys at 13 oh. is so cute. Right? Can you can you so, show us some pics at some oh, point? If I could find a can pic you put of Jilly a thick um, headband, but frizzy <laughs> hair right like proper frizzy hair and then from the age of probably like I want to say like 18 maybe she has gone for the same pull her hair across Mm. a little plait um, hair spray it down Mm. highlights like stuck to her head same bun like honestly I see her do that hairstyle every (laughs) single day and the first time I saw her with those curls I nearly fell off my chair (laughs) It's like, who is this woman? (laughs) So I think that
0: has to be the shock, especially when it's down. Julie never has her hair down. The the peak was that Netherlands game at Wembley when she got her little shirt from England. That was really like the curls were curling that day. Yeah.
1: Um, I've
0: got one
1: footballing one and one sort of football-based one, but my footballing one will be the North London derby because I know you guys both mentioned Liverpool Arsenal, but I think because it was the start of the season, I was like... Oh, everyone does stupid things at the start of the season. <laughs> North London derby, I I was just so convinced, especially coming off the Chelsea game, that Arsenal were going to blow Tottenham away, given how Tottenham performed against the Manchester teams. Um, that was like, I, I felt genuinely, genuinely gobsmacked that they held on to the final whistle. My... Sort of non-footballing one
3: is Kate being sent off yeah. the game when we'd all gone to watch her because I was genuinely cop-smacked when the ref pulled the red card out of her pocket.
1: Oh, um, so was I. <laughs> you I that was a great
3: highlight.
0: Thank you. Next yeah. up, we have biggest flop of the season so far, player or team. Unfortunately, I think it's got to go to Aston Villa. Really, I think they've been. Very disappointing. Um, I, I I didn't think they were going to break into the top four, but I didn't see them doing this badly. Hadn't been the worst transfer window. You know, players coming back off really good form last season. Obviously, missing Kenza Dali was huge, but adding Lucy Parker felt massive. Daphne Van Domselaar was you know the one of the signings of the summer. So I think that is really disappointing. And I think I still feel like they have a good finish in them, and I think that will hopefully mean that this season isn't. As disappointing as it could be. But yeah, to be where they are is very disappointing. I've gone for Villa and I've gone for Brighton. <laughs> Did you just copy my answers, mate? While... I know. Oh, we
2: never agree on things either. <laughs> um, I've gone for both of them because they were the two teams that I thought if anyone can kind of push the top four. Not that I thought I didn't think for a second that Brighton would finish in the top four, but I thought they would. Be the next ones with Villa that could maybe push them, be just slightly below them. Um, with the signings that both teams made, I was really impressed. I thought, okay, both these squads are taking it seriously. They're trying to trying to build on what they've got, um, and yeah, they've both been disappointing. Um, I think Villa have picked it up. Obviously, the last last few games they've looked a bit better, um, but yeah, so far they're probably my two flops.
1: This feels really cruel because I'm going to pick an individual player. Ooh. Ooh, dear. Agendas um, be
0: agendering, <sighs> <laughs> But JC, I really thought... Uh, I'm, I'm going to stand up for her there because I was I was trying to fight JC's course at the start of the season and I felt like she was so nearly there and I just wanted her to find a rhythm and I thought it would come. And I get why you picked her, but it does feel harsh, I think.
1: Yeah, I feel harsh saying it, but I just think the reality... And I don't think it's all her fault... I think the reality is spending 300k on a player to sort of lead your line and she's not even being trusted to start by the time you get to Christmas is that's why it feels like a flop to me because, yeah, I, I thought she'd really suit the WSL as well. I thought there were a lot of, like I felt like some of her Barcelona problems stem more from the way Barcelona wanted to play as opposed to like who she was as a player. And I don't know if she just lost sort of so much confidence that... Um, that it might sort of take a while to like find that and get that back and maybe United's just not the right environment to find that. But look, if you spend that much money on a striker to replace Russo, you need her to be doing better, don't you?
0: Yeah, I know. I I get you. I get you. I just, you know, I back her. I just wanted to play, really, and I just feel that's like... what I'm saying. I don't think it's all her fault, mm. and I don't think she's a bad player. But in
1: terms of flopping, it's oh, I do. Bad. I also
0: do feel like once once it clicks. It's gonna go, it's just whether she gets that patience.
1: You know? Yeah, but don't you feel like she, you know, that's giving me like Timo Werner energy, where you're like, <laughs> yeah, once it clicks, it's really gonna happen. He's gonna score a lot of goals. And you know, like
0: uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh most rattled of the season so far. There could be some counterpressed members who could be in this, but I'm gonna go with Gareth Taylor after Manchester City lost to Arsenal. When he accused Jonas <laughs> <Ideval of laughs> oh, bullying that's a good one the fourth official, Melissa Bergen, that is <laughs> rattle behavior. We all know Ideval is pretty lively on the sideline, but he doesn't generally do stuff that is like, you know, beyond the book. Like he is doing what any manager does. You're in the fourth official's ear, that's how you try and sort of influence the game or get a narrative on decisions. And he was getting a bit shouty, like we all do. We all get a bit shouty in the football pitch. And uh, Gareth Taylor wanted to create a bit of a different narrative, I think, because he was very much rattled about his team losing a game that they probably should have won. And I actually think it was really unfair what he said on the other side of Al, and refused to apologise, which I sometimes just got to take your L and say that you called it wrong. But he was very stubborn about it. So, yeah, that's my most rattle of the season so far. Kate, I'm glad I've gone for something different, but I've gone for the
2: same team. Oh, okay. I've gone for Man City players rattled after Alex Greenwood got sent <laughs> off. Oh, this is so funny. Absolutely. <laughs> when Jill Roald got that. I know, who was
0: it? Wahabi and Roald got both got yellows yeah. I mean, there was, was there? about
2: four bookings in the next five minutes or something, yeah. which then ended up, obviously, Lauren Hemp got Yeah. She, got it, off, for, uh, she, she got it for descent. And, and then, then the tackle. So I think, I mean, rightly so, I'd be rattled as well, but... <laughs> you also need a bit of composure to kind of bring yourself back in, in a big game. But (laughs) I think their heads were fully off in that game.
1: Um, I, this is funny because I was going to say Emily, he slipped
3: getting rattled by Alex Greenwood wasting too much time and then her just sort of losing her head and going, God,
1: God, God. Um, But I also have to shout out Becky Taylor-Gill for getting rattled that some Arsenal fans wanted an apology. Um, And I feel like sometimes the message there is to remember you might be talking to a 12 year old on Twitter.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, if in doubt, don't worry, it's kids. Uh, And then finally, the most important award of the episode, the Kate Longhurst Personality of the Season So Far Award. I have so many potential nominees for this. Taylor Hines, shout out. I think she's shown her personality with some of her post-match interviews and has had a really good season so far. Jill Roard, because of those comments where she dragged her own team, I think Jill Roard is just the gift that keeps on giving. So she will never miss an opportunity to trash talk the team that she's (laughs) currently a part of. So for that, she gets a nominee. But honestly, so many. But I have to go with one of our own, Gilly Fletty. I got Jilly cleaning up. These cleaning up. Oh. Also, honorable mention to Basil, the Chelsea fan, who takes people out with his flags, because he's a big personality in that Chelsea fan base. But yeah, Gilly, uh, you know, great, like always delivering on comms. The way that people talk about her commentary, they don't talk about any other co-coms <laughs> like it. Everyone is on the edge of their seat, whether she's doing the BBC Women's football show, whether she's on Counterpressed. And um, more importantly, just because it annoys. Kate that Jilly's winning the personality of the year because Kate gets dragged. Jesse, who's yours? Uh, I'm going to give it to Ashley Lawrence because wow. <laughs> I just
1: think she's so funny. And this might be just because it's a niche Chelsea thing. But my highlight of the year in terms of content is, um, I think it was maybe for Sky or maybe it was just for the WSL account. But they asked Chelsea players to give other Chelsea players Compliments. Oh, I and did see that. Yeah. Everyone just
0: gave
3: quite normal ones. And Ashley Lawrence goes over to New Charles and starts complimenting her on her eyes and just carries on going and going. New Charles is going redder and redder and redder going. Oh, thank you. It was a proper chat up <laughs> line, wasn't it? You. Yeah, I know. And like Ashley Lawrence has got like her hand on like squeezing New Charles's shoulder, and there was like quite a lot of panic, I think, in that moment. <laughs> um and then she also did an interview with Marva
1: Creel, and she just seemed like great great fun in that one as well and I messaged Martha and I was like she seems amazing she was like yeah she's so dry but so funny so I'm giving it to Ashley Lawrence the wow. Kate Longhurst
2: Personality of the Year Award love Decent. it Kate okay. um, I'm oh, going yeah. Chloe Kelly uh, I think at Old Trafford giving it to the crowd and, and, uh, a vis, uh, Meadow and then her yeah, and Can't believe it. I, I just that. think she's a you know like it, almost like shithouse of the year yeah I'm, I'm going to give her that but personality because as well when she referenced the Drake quote on her yeah. Instagram as no well. No love on the OT. I just,
1: yeah, I just, I like that. I like Bunny as well. Bunny Shaw doing the an interview and saying that Chloe
3: Kelly was like 90% Jamaican. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, great pick. Absolutely love that. Uh, so that is the Mid-Season Review and Mid-Season Awards over. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Mic drop. (laughs) An abrupt ending, but that's the way it's got to be. We'll be back in the new year, of course. We'll be back when the football returns with the fourth round of the Women's FA Cup. So enjoy your new year. Enjoy the football that might be on. I know we're all desperate. We're all going to miss it. Have a great New Year's, guys. Thank you, Angie. Will you wish me a happy birthday? And happy birthday oh, to happy Jessie. Birthday. 29th of December in case any of your fans want to drop and in. I'm turning
1: 29.
0: Isn't that so fun? Oh, wow. Spooky. 29 on the 29. Oh, yeah, I can remember how old you're turning. Great. Wow. Big one. Okay. Well, enjoy. Thanks. See you all the other side of the new year.